Betches Media presents. I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator, or not? Uh, my party is going bat crazy. Ah! You're the pop. It's alternative facts. Oh, goodness. The Betches Sup Podcast. America! Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Betches Sup Podcast. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Brian Russell Smith. And with us today, guys, we are so excited to have via the phone. He's a marriage and family therapist. He's been a TEDx presenter. He's an author. Please welcome to the podcast, Stephen Ng. And the crowd goes crazy. Yeah. Wow. The whole crowd that's here <laughs> Every, in the studio. Yeah. Everyone is applauding. Yeah. They're standing <laughs> up. <laughs> I'm really glad we could talk, you know, because in these dark, dark days of the Trump administration, mm-hmm. you know, how I get through the week, I, I can't rely totally on alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We've so, been dealing with the same I uh, have the issue. same coping mechanism and, you know, it only goes so far. Yeah. And it can be right, expensive. Right, right. <laughs> and that's why I'm really glad we're talking about, you know, human sexuality. I think it's, it's like, it's it's really to me so curative yes so healing. yes and that's like that's why we're really excited obviously we've talked a lot on this podcast about the me too movement in light of you know just everything that's been in the news um and so one thing that we really wanted to focus talking to you about is this concept of uh toxic masculinity and um i guess just to start out how would you define toxic masculinity you know, uh, great question, and I don't have a canned one-liner, but I would say, you know, sexuality is meant to be something that brings us together. It's meant to be beautiful. It's meant to be wonderful and, and very healing. And instead, when it becomes toxic, whether, you know, it's masculinity or any other kind of sexuality, well, talk, making it toxic means that it's now poisonous. It's contributing to our demise. It's making us weaker and, and less than what we would normally be. So if we can work with that, I think I think that really works for me. Does it work for you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yes. I'm I personally controversial statement, but I'm for everyone having a happy and healthy sex life. Yes. <laughs> that's crazy but that's, true. <laughs> that's controversy. I mean, I'm going to be inhibited from swearing. I'm not going to be able to talk freely because of course, yes. And I, you know, I'm blessed in that I have one of those kinds of sex lives and I've been married twice in my life and the first marriage was, you know, really hell on earth. It was horrible and <laughs> for so many reasons, but the second one is has gone on longer than the first and it's 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 been heaven on earth and and, and a big part of that is the people are going to misunderstand this Mm -hmm. because it's about sexuality not necessarily intercourse but you know the big gigantic overarching view of sexuality yeah being appreciated for my uniqueness uh, being flirted with through the day being uh you know just being respected for my own diversity that i bring to the that's party that's really that's really interesting um when when we're talking about sort of creating a healthy sexuality within our own relationships, Brian and I both are in long-term mm-hmm. relationships. What are some of those ways that you can, you know, keep things fun and respectful and like really be giving to your partner and open to your partner's sexuality? Oh my God. I mean, yes, such that's a global sweeping question. It's really <laughs> huge, right? Yeah. It's like, uh, we've got a week. Find the cure to cancer, would you? <laughs> so 
I, you know, for me, this, the, I, if, if I could return back to that notion of toxicity, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was, I don't know if you caught Maureen Dowd's column recently when she was talking about Harvey Weinstein. No, I did not. Oh, you know, the New York Times right now is an embarrassment of riches. There's so much about sex. (laughs) And even in just today's paper, if you just look at the bylines that came out today. But Maureen started talking about, you know, people like R. Kelly and Weinstein. And she used the word, I I love her column and Mm -hmm. I read her all the time. But unfortunately, she used the word monsters. Mm-hmm. Now, I do understand what she meant, where she was coming from, because we we can be horrified, but if we continue to live in horror, we don't really get to understand things. And it's by looking at somebody who's really screwed up and goofing it up terribly and publicly that the rest of us can start, like, learning what the hell's going on. You know, in today, today's paper, there was this wonderful op-ed piece by a victim of a uh, Catholic priest sex abuse. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, um, I think I'm going to get this straight. He said, it's not about priests who are gay or straight. It's it's about a void of intimacy. Mm -hmm. Mm, That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. It is because, you know, a lot of times when we get to, okay, the perfect sex life, the, the truly perfect sex life has two components. The first, of course, is titillation. If I'm not, that's arousal to physical stimuli. If I, if I don't think she's pretty, if I don't, it, you know, I'm, I'm a prisoner of my own hydraulic sexuality. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we so, all? <laughs> yeah. So if it doesn't, you know, if the equipment isn't firing up at the sight of her or at the sound of her voice, then uh, it's really, we have a no go. Okay. And, and it's, it's a little bit different for women because I think women are wired a bit different, differently. And, and, but for men, if you're really not attracted, it's the magic is not going to happen. And so that's part of it. And sadly, I have to tell you as a therapist who works with this stuff all the time, the vast overwhelming majority, I would say something like 98% of sexual relationships, if, and I think that's a conservative number, Mm -hmm. are based entirely on titillation. And so they're real hot and heavy up front, right? And they're doing it in every position, in every room <laughs> in the house, mm-hmm. maybe even sneaking out to the backyard or in the car. And, mm-hmm. But then after a while, I mean, you've checked all the boxes. And, oh, you've checked them 10 times. And really, I mean, I have to, I, again, with the same person? Are you kidding me? So the other component is intimacy. Mm-hmm. which I think our working definition could be the ability to safely share your life with another person. Yeah. yeah. I'm uh, So going back to kind of talking a little bit about like the lessons you say there are to learn from these people, Har- yeah. Harvey Weinstein's, the R. Kelly's, are, right. I guess we're talking about maybe that these men – didn't feel like they had a place to share intimacy. And so, or they had something to prove with their masculinity in a sense. um, Yeah. I I think that the, again, I got to give that guy, the victim who wrote that editorial for today, I got to give him credit. They don't have intimacy. There's a void Mm -hmm. and they don't. And he, then, and he, he also pointed out they don't have friendship, you know, intimacy, like between, two heterosexual men who have a platonic relationship, they can have a deep and very enriching, satisfying level of intimacy intellectually and emotionally. 
uh, even sexually. You know, I have I, I have worked with a lot of guys in groups, and some guy will make a disclosure, and I'll say, "Well, is that the kind of thing you feel like you could share with your wife?" And he'll look at me. And say, Are you crazy? She'd kill me if I told her that. Mm-hmm. And so what he's telling his group of heterosexual groupmates is that he has more sexual intimacy with us than he does with his wife. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That's kind of fucked up, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when- yeah, it really is because it shouldn't be that way. So when you ask about well, what can a couple do to keep the uh, magic alive, it's really about the foundation, you know, and, and beginning. And I know, I know there's like half the people listening to this going, yeah, you've got to be friends first. And that, uh, frankly, I don't want to offend you, but I just have to say plainly, that's bullshit. <laughs> that's absolute bullshit. We don't have to be friends. I have enough friends. I'm not looking to be put in the friend zone. And I don't want to be her next best new girlfriend. I, I really think it's about just accepting our sexuality that I'm attracted to her. I'm interested in her that way. And I really want to get to know her better. I mean, she's intriguing. She's interesting. Not just hot, but part of her hotness is that, that beautiful organ between her ears, you know, and listen to what she has to say about things. Yeah. So, and finding out whether she has a heart and all of that and, you know, my new rule, if God forbid my wife were to die, is I and I were, you know, after a suitable period of mourning. Of course. Uh, yeah, three days or so, I'd be out <laughs> dating. I, if I were to do that, I've decided I'm never going to have sex ever again with any woman who can't talk about having sex. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what it would mean, and that, that I, kind of thing. I feel like that is a huge issue that, I mean, I even struggle with it because I grew up in, I guess, in a, in a in a, in a way that I we didn't really talk about sex mm-hmm. or intimacy. And I find that even now as like an adult who I have moved past or, or is trying to move past most of my like hindrances as, yeah. a, as my childhood, I still Amanda. struggle to, you know, express how I feel like, in, like to my partner. Yeah. And I, Absolutely. I totally, I'm sorry. I interrupted oh, you. Oh no. I, I was just going to add to that, that like, as from like a female perspective, I've definitely felt those walls up where I've felt like, oh, you know, if I express like, oh, I actually like this more than that, mm-hmm. or this is how I prefer for things to go down, that I'm in some way going to like hurt the other person, like that I'm critique, right. like if I'm like critiquing, quote unquote, them, then like I'm ruining the experience for the other person and it's kind of at the detriment of my own experience which mm-hmm. is like an interesting dynamic to think about okay so now my inner therapist is coming out okay like, i gotta know what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> so if i was dating you mm-hmm. and we had an experience are you saying like you later you'd want to critique the date with me or no i'm saying like Let's say, you know, I'm with we're, I'm with someone sexually, whether it be like I'm, I'm in a long term relationship now, but like may, maybe I'm having like a first sexual experience with someone. I might not right. necessarily like tell them all the things that I, I like or like the way that I like for foreplay to go down or like, oh, actually, I prefer like. Yeah, I prefer this type of touch to this one because I feel like if I'm giving those instructions as the experience, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I'm providing this play-by-play as the experience is happening, I'm in some way like 
that I'm going to like throw them off in some way or it's like rude, rude to do. I know that that's not correct, but I've definitely felt that way in experiences. Oh, contraire. I, on behalf of all men everywhere, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I mean, think about it for a minute. If it's, we're talking about intimacy and we're not, and it isn't just about like sex and what works and what, what doesn't work. Uh, intimacy is, is that ability to safely share who I am and we have to ladder up those disclosures. So the first time, I mean, even just, you know, I'm on a date with her. It's early in the relationship. Uh, we've never done anything together. We're still just getting to know each other. And I reach across the table with an open hand you know, gesturing mm-hmm. that I'd like to hold her hand. Well, that's a big freaking risk when we've never done before. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if she's, gonna, you know, if she'll put her hand in mine or if she's just going to nervously, you know, take her napkin and pat her uh, mouth and then kind of look away. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and that can happen. So you, you don't want to be saying, no, really, I'm into more into oral. <laughs> you don't want to lead with that right? yeah. I mean, come on give us a break so little by little you know and, and i can tell you i've been with my wife for like 25 years and i am still getting to know who she is sexually because number one she's evolving mm-hmm. right she's always changing and what used to be a major turn maybe 20 years ago not so much anymore yeah. So, you know, I, I don't bring out the SpongeBob costume as much <laughs> as I used to. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it's the same way with me because I'm evolving as well. And also things that never were exciting, like sometimes more conversation or more vulgar conversation, yeah. or more explicit conversation, or sometimes it's just more emotionally laden, you know, like... Uh, I really felt left out and hurt when, you know, yeah. fill in the blank, or I really felt ex- happy when you included me in such and such. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, sort of bringing it back to toxic ma- masculinity, I know that, like, especially like, among gay people, myself included, there's this, uh, you deal with this internalized homophobia where you, you don't even realize you're dealing with it sometimes. Is yes. there a version of that in terms of masculinity and or for straight men? Oh my God. Yeah. That's like, we should do a whole nother segment on that. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like, you think you're in the closet. I mean, heterosexuals have got, are so closeted about their own sexuality. And, and typically, I don't know if you can even imagine this, but you know, we grow up, you know, as you were talking about earlier about your own family, I think we all have this family experience where we grow up with profound intimacy skill deficits Mm -hmm. where we don't know what the fuck we are doing. And we sometimes use sex as a substitute for intimacy Mm -hmm. as if it can, as if it can shoulder the entire burden. And when really it can't, I mean, sex is a wonderful way of communicating, but it's like saying, a conversation is going to carry the whole burden and that's just not true. So for, for heterosexuals, I have, what I have noticed is that the men who come into my office and by the thousands over the last 30 years, almost none of them have friends. Wow. Not a, you know, I mean like they have buddies like drinking buddies and they have work buddies 
and they have the guys maybe they even go fishing with. But in terms of uh, meaningful human connection, even in the context of a, a truly platonic relationship free of, as they used to say, free of the animal passions, mm-hmm. they, they don't have that kind of connection. So what a big surprise. They can't do it when it comes to the more complicated relationship of sexuality. You know, when you bring sex and romance into the scene. So these guys, they have to be taught how to, they have to be taught how they're feeling, uh, how to express how they're feeling, what it is they think sexually. I have guys who make a disclosure like, you know, something about, um, oh, a thought, you know, like a sexual fantasy. Mm-hmm. And and they're like blushing and they're, they're horribly uncomfortable and they're waiting for either me to scold them or for the group to scold them somehow. And when that doesn't happen, it's like you can just it takes like an hour for the tension to go away. Yeah. So, and and with and we're safe because we're basically strangers and me I'm safe because they pay me. I have to <laughs> like them, right? Yeah. But yeah. You know, when but with a, imagine you're so in love and you're so needy and you're so desperate for it to work out with the other person. Really you're going to tell them this intimate very vulnerable part of who you are when especially when maybe you've already gotten a clue like you mentioned some other guy you knew was really into fill in the blank and your partner says, Oh my God, that's so disgusting. I hate those people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, <laughs> okay, well that's, um, that's from most, most guys don't have the intimacy skills to confront that situation and deal with it and resolve it. So what should, how do we, and then, and this is obviously like a very big picture question, but like how do we as a society start trying to like, tear down some of those walls like if i you know if i'm a mother at some point and i have a son like are there things that i can do to help him stay connected to intimacy god you know again big picture question but Mm -hmm. i'm not going to tease you about it because it's a really good one it really is it's so it's so good because I, I, you know, I was explaining to a news reporter um, in an interview about that, and she, she said, yeah, yeah, I said, but you really need to teach your kids when they're young. And she, she looked at me like horrified. She said, that's a really difficult conversation for a parent to have. And, and they said, no, 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 no. I don't mean like talking to your eight-year-old about intercourse. Mm-hmm. I mean, God forbid. And honestly, I don't think parents even need to worry about that. I don't think they need to worry about that one stinking bit because – there's books mm-hmm. and there are libraries and oh blessed be the lord there's porn yeah. <laughs> and you know there's there's like we all know what tab goes into what slot and how many times and what kind of lube to use and mm-hmm. all of that those are not the troubling questions you know you you guys have probably talked about incels sometime and a yeah. little bit yeah okay so incels really are only the the hyperextension of what is the norm. Mm-hmm. The incels, uh, so what could a parent do to answer your question? Mm-hmm. A parent could, first of all, make sure your little boy, and it's mostly boys we're talking about, make sure your little boy has friends. Yeah. Real friends. You know, like when he's six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. School get in on that. If you wanted to prevent serial killings of, you know, that are usually motivated sexually. If you wanted to really have an impact on the community mental health, make sure everybody has the basic skills that 
to develop friends. Now, they don't. So then you have the step two would be identifying those in need and doing some kind of remedial help. And I don't mean necessarily uh, getting them to a therapist, but uh, because I, I, I just think it's simpler than that. I think it's talking to Johnny, you know, and, and talking to him about what's going on. And a lot of times you find out, you know, something really sad and pathetic, like he's getting bullied at school every day. Mm-hmm. And that's why he doesn't have friends. Or And he's getting bullied because he's fat or because he's gay or because he's skinny or because he's got a funny last name like Ng. <laughs> I'm just looking at you, Mr. Hill. Thank you a lot. For okay, so you know what? What parents can do, I mean, and that's that's like a no-brainer, right? I yeah. mean, even if you yourself suck at having friends, you can look at your child and see whether or not he has friends because as loving parents, none of us want our kids to be as fucked up as we are. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and set up social situations where he can meet other kids who are nice to him and mm-hmm. kids who are not mean, mean little fuckers. You know, yeah. a little, They're I out mean, there. Yeah. They are out there. They're definitely out there. And I I just think if kids could do that, then the next thing, and, and that's not that's not a small thing. I, I, I can't emphasize that enough because once you've got those social skills under your belt with same-sex relationships, it's super easy to extend them to romantic sexual relationships, whether they're same-sex or not. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it, but, but doing it platonically is, is the first thing, right? Because they're five years old, six years old, seven years old. They're not ready for intercourse. Yeah, no. that, but, very know? true. <laughs> yeah, so I don't care what R. Kelly says. They're not <laughs> ready. <laughs> so if the next step, and I, can, I could just regale you with horror stories of the opposite, but the next step would be when you understand that Johnny is having a crush on someone at school, whether it's a little boy or a little girl or their teacher or, or a cousin or an aunt or uncle, uh, whoever it is they have a crush on, to just acknowledge that in a kind way mm-hmm. and be affirming and just to simply say, Oh, yeah, that is so wonderful you're growing that way. I remember my first feelings I had like that. And and you don't want to call it puppy love. That's mm-hmm. very demeaning. Mm-hmm. Because for them, it's the love of their life. Yeah. It's it's the biggest love they've ever experienced. Oh, yeah. And it, yeah. And, and, they t- and to learn, you know, because I think most of you co- probably have stories where you felt ashamed because you were teased mm-hmm. uh, about something like this. You like who? Ick, that's gross. And whether it was kids who were teasing us or parents, I had one guy who came to my office and he was a 45-year-old virgin. Wow. And he was so terrified of women, um, even though he was attracted to them, he was so terrified of them. Really good-hearted guy, too. Because growing up, every time he showed any interest whatsoever in girls, he was humiliated and mocked by his mother, his father, his big brother, and his big sister. Oh, poor guy. And then, yeah, and then once in fourth grade, a girl found out he had a crush on her. And she was, she, he was not one of the cool kids, so she was horrified. And you can just imagine how mean she might have been. Yeah. And then for the rest of that year, all the other kids tormented him about that. 
they never took their boots off his neck. Mm. So, and, and it affected him only, you know, for the next 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, those early childhood experiences imprint on you yeah. so deeply. I mean, like, I, I feel like it's kind of a, a common, like, trope to be like, to have something from like first grade that every time you think about it, it still deeply uh-huh. embarrasses you, even mm-hmm. though it was like, yeah, something that happened to you when you were seven years old. Yeah. Or- well, someone recently told me to man up and I like, I was like, it like triggered this whole thing in me that like oh, shut me down. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I was like, why God. did that bother me so much? Right. Yeah. And it may not even, it might not have even been meant unkindly it might have been meant as a joke or something Mm -hmm. like that but nevertheless because of those early childhood memories and that's you guys we need to talk about that someday i don't know when because i don't know if we have time today but (laughs) the way early childhood trauma is so profoundly profoundly upsetting that we of course we naturally try to comfort ourselves and you know some kids go play by themselves to just try to get away. Other kids suck their thumb. Other kids maybe go eat more cookies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but eventually we all, you know, it, it turns, there's a sexual component to that sort of compulsivity. And that's why, you know, when we hear about horrible sex stories in the news, uh, whether it's that incel character mm-hmm. who, you know, was most recently in the news or any of the other horrible things we hear, there, there's a, there's a childhood history there of early trauma. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that and, came out in the R. Kelly documentary that he also had a history of trauma, and that obviously doesn't excuse the trauma he inflicted on other people, but that it's important to note that that happened to him. Well, you know, I, this is a big thing for me because a lot of times I'm a professional witness in court, and, you know, whenever you're in court, there's a there's a defense attorney who... And, and, and a prosecutor, and one of them is loving you, and the other guy can't stand you. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a there's always somebody trying to make you look really stupid. And here I am explaining why the defendant, how he came to be the person who would do what he did, and and what they what often happens in in the mind of the angry listener is that they hear me conflating understanding with excusing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are two separate things. Yes. I just heard, this was such a wonderful quote um, from a comedian. His name is Dylan Marin, who he does like a podcast where he connects people who have like said mean things to each other online. And in one of, it's, it's really wonderful. It's called conversations with people who hate me. And, (laughs) (laughs) and in talking about one of the episodes, he said something that I've really thought a lot about, which was um, empathy is not an endorsement. Mm -hmm. Like you can have empathy for someone and you can try to understand them and understand why they are how how they are without endorsing bad behaviors that they have done. And I know that people get really angry about this because if we start talking about, say, someone who um, did a horrible sex crime, maybe molested a child, let's say, or, or sexually assaulted an adult, to try to understand how he became that person is mission critical to being able to eventually predict what influences would drive somebody else to that place in their life. Mm-hmm. And, it, and if we can, um, going from understanding to prediction, it's then a really easy step to going to prevention. 
Mm-hmm. And that's something we never do in this society. We don't we don't do anything to prevent sex crimes. Yeah. It's always yeah, it's always locking the barn door after the horses have gone out. Yeah. yeah, and that um, so th- that brings us to this one last thing I wanted to just. Oh talk. no, it's I, over. I know, <laughs> oh, no. and we've only just begun, and you've said like a million things. I'm never going to stop thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but one thing that I wanted to ask you got into it a little bit about how like we learn the mechanics of sex like we learn like this is how like an embryo forms i remember in high school we watched in sex ed we watched a video that showed a thermal projection of a penis getting an erection like where the heat was distributed (laughs) like on the penis (laughs) i mean that'd be valuable if you became a penis doctor maybe but but like we never talked about like consent or what that looks like or intimacy or anything that was an actual I had a lot of questions about sex when I was 15 and none of them had to do with like the thermal like workings of the penis. <laughs> <laughs> Just how hot is it? Yeah, like, what, okay, so like when he's getting erect, like where, like what's the hottest part is, of the penis? Is it too hot to touch? <laughs> is it going to burn me? Yeah. So if you could add a lesson into our sex education, like what what lesson would you add that is lacking? Okay, so the thing that I, I guess I've been too subtle. Let me, let me just mm-hmm. say, I don't think we need to teach kids where to stick it. <laughs> I, I, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just don't think that's necessary because you can, you can, I mean, there's just too many videos online. There's too and I don't mean just porn, but there's a lot of educational material out there. And that's the last thing we need to worry about. The epic failure in our culture, and not just our culture, I mean, human culture, is that we don't teach people these intimacy skills. And frankly, asking for consent is an intimacy skill. Mm-hmm. Even with something, in, and here's what I see guys doing. What And this is what I did when I was 12. I would, uh, you know, go on my first movie date back in the day, and then I would do the comically ridiculous yawn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the arm would go around her shoulders and if she didn't move, okay, we're good. I got consent. It's it's consent by Braille. Yeah. <laughs> by Braille. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and you do the same thing when it comes to feeling her up in the movie theater. And if she slaps the hand away, that means, okay, the left breast is off limits. But what about the right breast? <laughs> but that and that's something we see on tv like that's a move that like like i feel like bugs bunny does that like (laughs) exactly exactly so the the thing about it is and you put your finger on it when you talked about it being mechanical we have a mechanistic view of human sexuality and, and it's a legacy really from from kinsey and i don't mean to put him down at all i think he's a a giant in in the field but because we are so freaking scared of sex, we had to make it a very scientific discussion in order to begin to approach it. Mm-hmm. So it was about weighing things and measuring things and taking temperatures and counting things and how long would this period last and how long would that period last. And it was so we have inherited this very mechanistic view of human sexuality. And, and so if Everybody I've ever talked to, even people who just got out of high school, they say that their sex ed program was about um, STDs or STIs and how to avoid them. It was about pregnancy and what causes it. 
And basically anatomy and physiology lessons, like these are the parts, this is what they do, uh, and, and, and use plenty of lube. No, they didn't even say that. They no. Say that. <laughs> no. So what about, you know, the, the, the thing that makes humans human is their capacity for love, to oh. give it and to receive it. And when people lack that capacity, we say that they are inhuman. So what I think the, and now we're coming full circle right to the beginning of this mm-hmm. conversation, what really makes sexuality toxic is when we mechanistically teach our children about sex without including any of the human information yeah. about love. How do you have a healthy relationship? What is a healthy relationship? Uh, what part does abuse play in, in being a deal breaker for having a healthy relationship? How do I ask for consent? What do I do when I get more consent than I wanted? How do I deny consent comfortably? You know, there's like, I could write down a thousand questions. Yeah, yeah. Right, And none of those get addressed. And you know why? Why? Because none of the people teaching us know the answers to those questions. Yeah. Well, that... It's so sad, right? It really really is, but... um, you know, it's so wonderful to have someone like you to come on our podcast and to talk about your work and to help us to begin the process of dismantling some of this stuff. So we're just just so grateful. We're in preparation. We're preparing to bring down the patriarchy Yeah, and teach everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for being a part of that process. I'm just kidding. I really, my inner AOC is totally down with that. I think think it's it's not incremental change we need. It's a radical paradigm shift that would be more revolutionary. Well, hopefully this podcast episode can be a part of that, (laughs) making that shift happen. Um, Stephen, please tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, find out your work, see if you're speaking. Um, do, do you have social media? Super any easy. Of that stuff? Yeah, yeah, super easy. Uh, Stephen with a V, StephenAing.com. That will answer all your questions. Amazing. Thank you. Well, it was so wonderful to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for all of your blast. work. Um, oh, I had a blast with you guys. Yay, I'm really glad. Yeah, me too. Um, until the end of democracy, guys, I'm Elise Morales. I'm Brian Smith. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast. Betches.